The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Acts chapter 17 tells us a story about Paul on his missionary journey going to a town called Thessalonica. Matter of fact, it was in the area called Macedonia. That was the region he had first gone to Philippi. He was run out of town, and he comes to chapter 17, and Paul went to Thessalonica. And listen to these words, chapter 17, verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and to rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. This is Bert Harper, and if you can guess, we're going to start studying the book of First Thessalonians. But we find out about that church in Acts chapter 17. So we welcome you to this program. If you have a copy of the Word of God, we'd love for you to enjoy following us as we go through First Thessalonians, five chapters. It'll be a blessing to you. Alex, uh, it's been a while since we did First Thessalonians, and I'm looking forward to going back through it again, brother. Well, I am too. And, and folks, one of the things that Bert does, and he does it so well, and this show it greatly benefits from it, you have kept meticulous records about where we've gone over the last 11 or 12 years. And uh, uh, how long has it been? You, you and I were praying and talking about, uh, you know, we, we wrapped up Micah, and First Thessalonians came up in our conversations, and it had been several years, yeah, hadn't it? Seven since. years since we've gone through First Thessalonians, and uh, with the situation like it is, all the time I'm hearing people quote Second Timothy chapter three verse one: uh, "In the last days, difficult, hard times will come." Right. And right. Uh, you and I were talking about it, said it'd be a good time because First Thessalonians uh, talks about the Lord's return. But it also talks about going through difficult times because the Christians in Thessalonica were going through some hard times. So I think it's a book that would help us during our day, and uh, we're praying that it would. And Alex, when we do this and see this, it's so refreshing, and I love to study it. We've talked about it chronologically. So we see here in the book of Acts on Paul's second missionary journey, he goes to this town, and around six months later or so when he's in Corinth or whenever it is, he writes back to the church at Thessalonica, two different letters, and, uh, it, you know, it helps us to see how real this was. Uh, he just didn't leave them stranded. We're going to find out it says Satan had hindered him from getting back to them and visiting with them, so he wrote them these letters. Have you noticed this? I want to ask you this. Turn it over to you. God takes all things and works them for good. So Paul wanted to get back, but he couldn't. But we're the beneficiary of that hindrance because because of that, we get two letters that are in the Bible that blesses our hearts, you know? Well said. Well said. Uh, let me read a little bit of this from chapter 1 of First Thessalonians. And again, if you're at a place where you can... Uh, get a copy of the Word of God open to the New Testament book. And the First and Second Thessalonians, they are among my favorite 
and uh, I think everybody will enjoy these. But it starts out, you know, Paul was great with his greetings, his salutation. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, Timothy, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 2, I've seen it shared on, you know, a, a greeting card and different things, but it's so special as a believer, says, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Now, doesn't verse 2 just warm your heart? We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Millions of Christians over the last two 2,000 years thinking of the friendships and relationships within the body of Christ. Oh, my goodness. I think we all we all can resonate with verse 2. Don't you say so? <laughs> I Bert? agree with you. Matter of fact, there's three other times that Paul is thankful for the church at Thessalonica. Uh, we think of the book of Philippi as being the one that he was just so thankful for. It says rejoice, and he said, I have no greater joy, and he had talked about them. But here in the book of First Thessalonica, in chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 5, he gives thanks to God for them. So this is a church that uh, he has a fondness for. I think he has a fondness for all of them. Don't, don't get me wrong. But he expresses it more here than usual. Let's go mm -hmm. back to verse 1 real quickly. Grace and peace. I just got to make a mention. This is common to Paul, grace and peace. But how important they are. Grace is Greek term, peace, the Hebrew term. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica that has some Jewish believers. But according to Acts chapter uh, 17, there's a multitude of Greeks. It's a bunch, a lot of 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 Gentiles, Greeks, that's come to Christ. And he gives them this, this greeting, grace and peace. And from that grace and peace comes thanksgiving, and then you have faith, hope, and love mentioned in that same verse that you were talking about in verse 2. Alex, uh, there's, there's fullness in the first two verses of the book of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, that's filled with meaning, especially, listen to that, the work of faith, a labor of love, and patient of hope in the Lord Amen. Jesus Christ. Well, we need yeah. those three, uh, faith, hope, and love, don't we? Oh, my goodness, we, we certainly do. And, you know, as you mentioned, um, it's generally believed that First Thessalonians was the first part of Scripture Paul wrote. Now, you know, Paul wrote over half of the New Testament, and they're epistles, they're, they're the letters of Paul. And so these were letters that he wrote to Christians and churches, and if you hear the word epistle, and of course the New Testament says that we are living epistles. In other words, you as a witness, as you are walking for the Lord and you represent Christ, you're, you're a book of the Bible people can look at and read. But uh, if he wrote 1 Thessalonians around 50 AD and 1 Corinthians, which in roughly 54, okay, 1 Corinthians 13 very famously talks about faith, hope, and love, but we see that right here in verse 3. Remembering without ceasing what your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. We see that wonderful triumvirate right there, faith, hope, and love 
which again we'll read about in another of his letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How, how do we have faith? How can we love others and labor and work? And in what do we have hope? The Lord Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead uh, by the decree and the blessing of God the Father. So, Bert, I, I could see uh, a, a sermon, if not a month of Sunday school lessons, <laughs> right in verse 3. Do you? I do. I, you really do here. And notice uh, it talks about it. Notice the words with these three words, work of faith. You know, your faith is worked out. It doesn't mean you work for your faith, but it means it is worked out in your life, Alex. And then labor of love. Uh, let's just be honest. Uh, labor, love someone, loving certain people is a laborsome job to, to love them. Now, God loves us. <laughs> And how he does that is amazing. How he can <laughs> love called grace, isn't it, it is. <laughs> it is completely. And then the patience of hope. Uh, now, what they're talking about is we're going to get to chapter four and chapter five, which talks about the return of Christ. And the first, and the Thessalonians were wondering, has he already come? When is he coming? And 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 isn't it neat that Paul would put patience with the word hope? You know, mm-hmm. you, you yes. catch those two, and it's talking about the Lord's return. And uh, Paul's going to talk about it in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. It says, those of us who are alive when Christ, Paul thought he might be in that group because he didn't know uh, when it might happen, but he was ready if it were, were to happen. So, and, and don't you think Christians of every era have thought, well, you know, maybe I'm going to be here when that trumpet sounds. Hey, you know? I think that's what it is, patience of hope. Yes, it could happen at any time, but it may not happen. So you got to be ready, but willing to wait. Exactly, exactly. I want to read a couple of verses and then comment on a word that I think is very powerful. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Okay, there's a lot going on here. So verse 5 says, look, uh, we had an authentic message but praise God, we were authentic messengers. It wasn't just in word, but it was in power of the Holy Spirit, in much assurance. And, and by the way, uh, we've, I think the gospel message is a compelling message, and it's the meaning of life, honestly, to know your Savior, to know your Creator, to know the trajectory of history. The history is going somewhere, and uh, Jesus is coming back. I mean, there, we have every incentive to stay excited about the Lord, to be assured and uh, confident. Anyway, know, knowing what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. In verse 6, you know, Bert, you and I have said as much, but we would never, we would never say, you know, follow me. But like Paul, we would say, Follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah, because we're we're never. Well, I, I've often said this. I don't care that anybody knows my name, but I do care that everybody knows Jesus's name. And so, um, Paul, I think there's a, a little bit of a caution there. You know, 
you're following us, that's great, but do it to the degree that we're following the Lord and having received the word in much affliction with joy. Only in Christianity could you have affliction and joy in the same sentence. Am I right? You are exactly right. I do want to go back to verse 4 because it says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election. You need to know that you're saved. Paul is writing to these uh, Thessalonians, and they're wondering uh, about the Christ return. And some were wondering, you know, we have loved ones that's already died. Are they all right? And Paul writes this word, and he uses this word, knowing. In other words, with no shadow of turning, beloved brethren, your election of God. Make sure your election, make sure that there's been a time that you've been saved. In in, in eternity past, God the Father knew it. Uh, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he paid for it. And in that time when you became a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit secured it and sealed it. And knowing this, brethren, and then he goes on, as you said, Alex, they preach the word, not it, not only, but they preach the word with what? With power. And not just that, they did it in the power of the Holy Spirit with much assurance. That goes back mm-hmm. to the word knowing in verse 4, where it says, knowing that the word of God is going to reap the word of God proclaimed and lived out, as you said, with this joy, this example of affliction and joy. But Alex... It's an example, and it draws people in. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word, and the power of an exemplary life draws people to Christ, doesn't it? It really does. And we're going to come back, and we're going to continue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And you are listening to the American Family Radio Network. We hope you'll stay tuned, because even after more Scripture and commentary, we're going to take Bible questions and phone calls. This is AFR, Bert and Alex. So glad that you're listening. Stay tuned. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Dr. Eric Lander, Director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy. He works to ensure that the United States can harness the full power of science and technology on behalf of the American people. Proverbs 14:15 reminds us of the importance of acquiring knowledge. The simple believes everything but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Eric Lander as he works to advance science and technology in this country. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says too many of us are so busy figuring out where we're going in life that we completely ignore the only one who really knows. But fortunately, it's never too late to change course. We'll learn how as we spend two minutes with Tony. Moses was a felon. Moses was a murderer. And he had to run for his life. But when he got his eyes fixed back in the right direction at the burning bush, God still used him to let my people go. Even though he made a mess, God was able to redirect him and still accomplish his purpose. There's testimonies out there that no matter how messed up you are, how long you've been messed up, 
if you will fix your eyes on Jesus. If you ever look at the Olympics and you see the rowers and the rowers are going this way, but they're rowing like this. They're rowing, but they're going this way. So they don't see where they're going. That's why on this side of the boat is a coach called the Coxswain. Now the Coxswain is looking where they're going and the Coxswain says, look at me, look at me. Don't try to figure out where you're going because you can't see where you're going. Just follow my dictates, follow my rowing cadence because I know where we need to go. See, life is too uncertain. Things come to us from too many directions. We only know this much, but since Jesus is Alpha and Omega, he knows where we're going. And if we will focus on him, he will take us to where we need to be. Learn more about the characteristics of Jesus that you'll recognize by keeping your eyes on him. Check out Tony's book, The Power of Jesus Names, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you, and we are going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and I just want to tell you, I think you'll enjoy it if you can join us. I know some of you are driving, and you listen. Some of you are, are at home or office and a store. You can join us, and as you open God's Word, it'll be a blessing to you. But, Alex, last week we had Truth for Youth Week. Uh, it's something oh, yes. that we do at AFR in connection with Revival Fires and Dr. Tim Todd. And the report that we got from uh, him on Tim on Sunday night was over 63,000 Truth for Youth Bibles had been ordered and to be given away and expecting more. 63,000. How did your Bible handout go Friday night, brother? Oh, my goodness. Well, thanks for bringing that up. And I want to say a big thank you to all of the Exploring the Word listeners that participated in helping Bibles get out. 63,000. Praise the Lord. Well, and Tim Todd and his staff, they really came through for me. I called up on, like, Tuesday and ordered Bibles, and they got them shipped, overnighted to us. Uh, We were in South Carolina, and Friday night we had a thing called the Back to School Bash, and there were well over a thousand people that showed up. We gave out hundreds of the Truth For Youth Bibles in English and Spanish, and I've got a photo I just sent to Devin Patrick, and maybe we can put it on the Facebook page. This child's expression says it all. This boy was about, I think, a seventh grader, and they loved, oh my goodness, they loved the fact that in the front is the story of the gospel, and it's in picture form. It's called a graphic novel, and, I mean, the kids read this stuff. I wouldn't call it a comic book. That just doesn't begin to do it justice because the artwork is so good, and it gets them into reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the whole New Testament is there. But um, one of the things the Lord did over the weekend, uh, Angie and I were talking to a girl. She was about 19 or 20, her name And I'm going to ask everybody to pray. Her name was Sabrina. And she was a young lady and had 
kind of a rough home life story. But she said this, and I, I asked her, I said, um, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? And she said, no. And she said, I've been dabbling in witchcraft, and I want to get out of it. And she knew right quick, she wasn't even saved yet, but she was like, I, this is not the path I need to go down. Well, we led her to Christ. She accepted Jesus as her Savior, wiping tears out of her eyes. It was glorious. And then we spent about an hour telling her what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, we got a group and prayed over her. And um, I won't go into all the details, but we said, look, you, you've, you've put your hand in the hand of Jesus now and the ways of witchcraft, you don't ever, ever go back to that. So, uh, the Lord has delivered you. But anyway, it was a grand weekend. The Lord was working, and we saw lives changed. And I just want to say I thank Tim Todd for getting us all of our Bibles on time for our event. Amen. Thank you for that report. And those of you that like, write, like me, write names down. We need to pray for Write down name the Sabrina. Uh, mm -hmm. And pray for her, and pray for her discipleship that she'll go with God. So keep that in mind. Thank you, Alex. I want to come in again, as you said, on verse six. Two word, two phrases here that really are powerful. Notice much affliction with joy. Now, joy of the Holy Spirit. That's the only mm -hmm. way it happens. Uh, you can't do it just by your own understanding. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, the afflictions that we get, God does it and lets us have joy in serving the Lord, whether it leads to affliction or not. And uh, Alex, what a comment. And you'll find phrases like this all the way through the book of both books of Thessalonians that there's kind of an unusual, as you said, First Thessalonians, if what if it wasn't the first one, some people think Galatians was first, but uh, we, you know, it was either the first or second book, First Thessalonians, that Paul would write. And again, you see these, let me say, phrases, and you see that, like you said, grace and peace, and then uh, faith, hope, and love. You see these introduced in First Thessalonians that later on, in like Romans and Corinthians and others, he'll expand upon. And this affliction with joy is one of them. Well, exactly. And uh, it gets into verse 7, the joy of the Holy Ghost. Verse 7, so that you were examples. Some the King James says in samples, but it's example to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, it's very interesting because the word in Greek is the word type, type. And that, that really means a pattern or a model or literally a picture that people can see. Exactly. So... We've often talked about typology, and in the Old Testament there were a lot of figures like King David or Joseph back in the book of Genesis or wise King Solomon or, or even Boaz. There were figures in the Old Testament that were uh, uh, a type of Christ or uh, typographical in that you look back and you say, oh, okay, I see how David was the shepherd of Israel and Jesus is the shepherd of his people. Uh, and the ark, Noah's ark, the ark of safety at a time of worldwide judgment, the ark is a type or a picture of Jesus who would come. But according to verse 7, Paul is, you know, commending these Thessalonican Christians because they were examples. A, they were a picture of Jesus that people could see. And Bert, 
aren't we examples? If somebody ever says to you at work, um, hey, you know, I like I like working with you because you don't get mad, you don't lose your temper, um, you know, there's just something about you. What is it? Do you just kind of have a something special in your life? What is that? It well, is. It is, Alex. Good. And notice verse 7 follows verse 6. Now, we know that numerically, but much affliction with joy and example. I mean, that's when and people we, are looking. We are to be an example. That's when people are looking. They're looking more at you when difficulty is happening in your life, how are you responding, Alex? And it's an example. So this is an encouragement to the saints that are in the rest of Macedonia and Achaia. Now, you have to remember, Thessalonica was the largest city in that area. Macedonia, that was the Macedonian call, and Thessalonica was the largest city. At that time, they think it was at least 200,000 people. And that city still exists today. It's called Thessalonica. And it still exists today, and it's the second largest city in Greece, Athens being the largest, and it still exists today. Not a lot of some of the cities that Paul wrote to and John wrote to, they no longer exist. You can see the ruins, but they're not there, but they're there. And so notice what it says, because of that examples, verse 4, for from you the word of the Lord was sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Alex, the word of the, the church at Thessalonica, it was spreading. And uh, it was going forth and it was encouraging. This word sounded forth has the idea of trumpeting it out, making the noise, making a sure sound. You remember that scripture he wrote about in Corinthians that the trumpet give an uncertain sound? What do the righteous do? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say the saints in Thessalonica was given the trumpet sound that was sure, brother. Well, amen, amen. That, and I'm going to tell you about that because in verse 8, there's literally the wording rang out. But uh, here's how the King James renders verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we needed not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Boy, there's a lot in 9 and 10, but let me read verse 8 in the Holman Christian Standard. I like it. It says, listen, oh, this is awesome. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, and it goes on, whether it says sounded out or rang out, um, we need to be a trumpet for the living God and his message of salvation. And I think there's a lot we could say about that. Uh, You know, Bert, I've told this story, forgive my repetition, but I learned this from Erwin Lutzer, the the very famous painter, Gustave Dore, the French painter. They called him the preacher painter. He did over 300 famous paintings of Jesus, uh, and a lot of his paintings of biblical scenes have been used in classic literature. And somebody said to Gustave Dore, you must love Jesus because you paint him so much. And he's, Dore said, I wish I loved him more. Perhaps I could paint him better. See, we're painting a picture of Jesus for people to see. Let's, let's put forth the clearest image we can. Amen. <laughs> That's awesome, Alex. Amen. Let that example ring clear. 
Verse. Well, and go ahead. Forgive me. Forgive me. No, go but ahead. The end of verse eight. Paul says this. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. In other words, <laughs> verse. He said, "Look, we didn't even have to preach because y'all's life had had preached a sermon before we even uh, got here." Alex, that means you'd rather see a sermon as hear one any day. Uh, yes. That may be where that came from, but that's exactly what Paul is saying. Uh, mm-hmm. Amen. Verse 9 says, uh, notice, uh, Alex has read it, but notice this. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, take that back, and you could do this with others, to that patience of hope. The idols had given them no hope. There no hope. is no hope in in false gods. There's no hope in secularism. There's no hope in communism. There's no hope in socialism. All of these are going to be a downward spiral spiritually in every way, and most of them are going to be downward uh, economically and socially in every other way, I'm telling you the truth. But the hope, the real hope, came as they turned from their idols to God to serve, notice his terms, the living and true God. I, I could. We need to spend a little bit of time on that. The idols that they had served were dead. I, it made me think and remember when the children of Israel were in battle and Saul said, when we're losing. So bring the Ark of the Covenant out here like a good luck charm. So it, uh, mm. that will help us to win the battle. Well, they lost the battle and the Philistines took the Ark and put it in the Temple of Dagon. Now, Alex, do you remember what happened to Dagon after that took place? This it dumb got- idol? Knocked over like a bowling pin. It did. <laughs> it was dead. And, 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 and then his yeah. hands got broken off. And You remember all that? I do. There was nothing. It was dead. They said, And then they broke out with hives, and they said, man, we got to get rid of this. So they put it on the ox cart and put it on some uh, mother uh, calves uh, and our cows, and they got it to Benadab's house, barely in the edge of Israel. Mm-hmm. But here's what it is. It Notice it says to serve the living and true God. Uh, those of you who are listening, let me just be as straight with you as I can. You are not going to find this patience of hope. You're not going to find this labor of love or work of faith in anything except through Jesus Christ. All other ground, as they say, is sinking sand. Only Jesus Christ. And so he is the living and true God. Don't look to anywhere else. Don't turn to anyone else. It is Christ and Christ alone. Alex, Paul starts this out. I think this is a pretty good statement for his first book to write, if First Thessalonians was. He's starting out right, saying Jesus is the only hope, isn't he? Well, that's right. And you know the word idol uh, literally means false god. That's why, uh, you know, reverence is one thing. Um, You know, when you go into a sanctuary, you try to be reverent. But part of the joy of Christianity is, uh, listen, I don't mind stepping on the crack in the sidewalk. I don't mind walking under a ladder. Uh, if a black and every now and then a black cat will cross your path. I've been driving down a street before when a black cat would cross your path. I've had friends over the years very superstitious, and they're like, you know, we had that event last Friday, Friday the thirteenth. And I've had even Christian friends say, "Uh oh, you know about Friday the thirteenth?" I said, "Listen, I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I don't throw salt over my shoulder. I'm not worried about a crack in the sidewalk. See, we've been set free, and and we don't have to be afraid of, you know, our shadow. Uh, Now, we need to walk closely with Jesus, but isn't one of the blessings of salvation the true and living God? Verse 9 and 10, we have turned, and now we are alive because we are in the relationship with the living God and the fear of idols and the obsessive OCD rituals of superstitionism, that's long gone. Long gone. And it brings us to verse 10. Now listen, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers from the wrath to come. Now, in every chapter, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, every one of these chapters ends with a comment concerning the return of Jesus Christ. Every one of them. Let me just give you one, the last one in chapter 2. It says here, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in his presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The same thing happens in chapter 3. So Paul here is beginning to hit on the biggest issue that the church at Thessalonica had, and that was the return of Jesus Christ. So Mm. he hits it here, and the word wait doesn't mean leaning up against a building and just, you know, passing time. It means working while you wait. It has the idea of being alert while you wait, not just Mm -hmm. passive waiting, Alex. Right. Well, it's the word... uh await, really, you know? Yes. And like you say, what what's interesting, it's a fascinating word there in verse 10, and it says to uh, earnestly wait. And waiting might connote inactivity, but we're, we're busy waiters, aren't we? We are. And it <laughs> delivers us from the wrath to come. We get delivered from that wrath. Praise God. Hey, we're going to take phone calls, 888-589-8840. We would love to hear from you today with your Bible question. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. God has a purpose for each one of us and that in each of our lives there will come the prison experiences. There will come the problems, the difficulties, and that in the midst of those God wants to teach us and He wants us to learn. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, Overcoming Loneliness, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Chicago police officer Ella French and her partner pulled over a car for expired plates. One of the two suspects exited the vehicle with a drink in one hand and a cell phone in the other. He refused repeated instructions to put those items down. He then pulled a .22 caliber handgun from his waistband and fired several shots, hitting and killing 29-year-old Officer French 
with a single shot to the head and hitting her partner in the shoulder and right eye. Note to all you defund the police quacks, there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Psalm 144 verse 15 says, Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. A dad overheard his little boy and his two friends as they began to compare their fathers. The first boy said, My dad's important. He knows the mayor. The second boy said, That's nothing. My dad knows the governor. The father was listening and he wondered what his little boy would say because he didn't know any important people. Then his son said, That's nothing. My dad knows God. Dad, do you know God? Have you trusted Jesus to be saved so that you know that you've been made right with God? Do you live to obey Him, not perfectly, but faithfully? The very best gift you can give your kids is this. Know God, love Him, and teach your children to love Him too. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You're my defender. You fight for me. I will remember. You're all I need. You are my healer. My memory. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Bert Harper, you are listening to the American Family Radio Network. Hey, I'm going to give the number. It's 888-589-8840. We'd love to have your phone call and a Bible question. We'll do our best to give you an answer. And uh, hey, Bert, I'll tell everybody, I am this week, it's my privilege, in addition to doing Exploring the Word, but I am guest hosting for E.W. Jackson on The Awakening and that's heard every day, uh, 1 to 2 Eastern Time, 12 to 1 Central, and so forth and so forth. So I've, I'm on two hours a day this week. So, Amen. Uh, Alex, anyway. way to go. And, and you know, uh, on The Awakening, Brother Bishop Jackson does an awesome God of the Word of God, and then he goes to the, the issues of the day. And so I can't think of a better co-host than Alex McFarland. Oh. So, Alex, I'm glad of that. Hey, by the way, I'll just let you know I'm going to be on Friday, Trivia Friday, uh, Learning University. I'm going to be on there with Yay. Tim and some more. I enjoy doing that. It gets the other the other side of me out that uh, kind of, you know, how I love to laugh, and it just uh, brings that side out of me. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, Alex, you ready to go to the phone lines? 888-589-8840. We go to your calls and questions on Exploring the Word. From Florida, we want to talk to Donovan. Donovan, welcome. <laughs> yes. God bless you guys. Thank you. Bless you. Anyways, I wanted to know if, um, you know, you were talking about the Bible that you were ha- handing out to the kids. Okay. I was curious if you, I had a couple of things I wanted to say. So first I had a question, a couple of questions here. First off, have you ever heard of the Action Bible? Uh, I, I have, yes. Published by David C. Cook, a very reputable, respected Christian publisher. Yes, I'm familiar with it. Okay. 
Uh, so would you suggest that, would you say that that's a, 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 a fair, mm, I don't know what to say. Is, is that accurate? Yeah. Uh, and, and let me say a word about that. And, and thank you for the question. You know, one, one of the desires that, that all of us grown-ups have is that the children coming up would have a, a love for the Word of God. You know, um, I, I just wish I could shout it from the housetops, become a student of the Bible. And so the Action Bible, the way it was set, what they did, um, they divided the Bible up into 200 stories, which, you know, there's definitely 200 portions <laughs> teaching portions you could get, isn't it, Bert? I'm telling and, you, it is. And there's a, an artist, I can't recall his name, but he's like a really, really renowned artist who drew, and it's, again, I wouldn't call it comic book, that doesn't begin to do it justice, but they call it a graphic novel. And so this artwork and the narrative presents what they call the original action heroes, the biblical figures. And imagine, let's say your child is, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, and they're sort of outgrowing a children's Bible. Maybe you've got a children's Bible storybook, and that's been really good. I think the Action Bible is a real good next step. And hopefully someday they'll have a Bible Bible, you know, and read it. But um, I, I'm not going to say it's a substitute for a real Bible. But, you know, I've seen these in bookstores. And, you know, if you start reading these these, you know, picture Bibles... Uh, it is gripping. It's hard to put it down. And so, and plus, um, when I lived in Colorado, I'll say this, Bert, I knew lots and lots of the employees at David C. Cook Publishers. Very good, godly Christian publisher that, at least in my experience, has been completely trustworthy. And I knew a lot of their writers and editors. And uh, so I, I feel good about it. I. I, I'm not as familiar as you are, but I, after I got to thinking and you described it, I remember it and I've seen it, and it has value. That's that's what you're looking at, and uh, it's just like a commentary. Uh, it's not the Bible. It's not to take the place of a Bible, but it helps you to understand the Bible and draw you in. This action Bible will draw young people in, and uh, I, I think it has uh, merit. So thank you, Donovan. Appreciate your call. Let's go to Kentucky and talk to Jake. Jake, welcome. How you doing, Alex and Bert? How you doing today? Doing well, doing. brother. <laughs> um, I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask you a question about um, the Book of Acts. If you have, if if you if you all have uh, covered that on on uh, exploring the Word. I just started. I just started listening to y'all a couple of weeks ago, so mm. I don't know what books y'all. So I don't know what books y'all have covered and and what. Yeah, we believe it or not, Jake. Save your question. I'm not cutting you off, but we have covered the Book of Acts and uh, the two books that we've only done portions of is Psalms and Isaiah, uh, and we've taken selected chapters and Psalms of those. Uh, the others, we've gone, well, we haven't done Song of Solomon and Lamentations. Those, we haven't done them, but we're looking at especially doing Lamentations in the future. But we have done the Book of Acts. Go ahead, Jake. Uh, uh, how would you, uh, um, do you notice the, uh, um, 
like how Luke writes in in yeah. his in both the in both the uh, gospel he writes and the and the book of Acts. The some of the medical terminology he uses, you can you can tell you can always <laughs> tell his writings. I was also wondering if you could tell that if he if he scribed for Paul any. Okay, well. Uh, it doesn't show him being a scribe or an amanuensis for Paul, but he was there. Do you remember when Second Timothy was written? Uh, he would close out close to the end and say, only Luke is with me. Uh, and I agree with you. Luke acts. A lot of people, uh, Jake and Alex, they kind of put those together. They, they don't say Luke and acts. They say Luke acts because mm -hmm. it is a, just a continuation, isn't it? Well, well, it really is. And by the way, sir, thanks for listening, and welcome to Exploring the Word. You say you've been listening, a, you know, a couple of weeks, and we just appreciate that, and, you know, we just give God the glory. But, you know, it's it's interesting. Luke um, was a physician. In fact, Colossians 4.14, the Apostle Paul calls Luke, quote, the, the beloved physician. And there have been a, a lot of people, especially historians, and some archaeologists that have been persuaded of the truth of Christianity due to the heavy details in Luke and Acts. Uh, in fact, it, we've kind of said that the book of Acts is almost Luke part two, but there are medical words. In fact, in some of the healings that are mentioned in the book of Acts, uh, you know, there, there's medical terminology used. So clearly, you know, despite what skeptics might say, you know, the New Testament is a very, very, very meticulous book, and the writers and the apostles and followers of Jesus, they were not ignorant people, but were uh, intelligent, and in the case of Paul and Luke, were educated people. Now, one last thing, and this is completely speculative. You mentioned, did, did Luke ever uh, scribe for Paul? One, one of the things about the New Testament that has been a little bit of discussion is who really wrote the book of Hebrews? Because one, one writer said that um, if the writings of Paul are the equivalent to somebody with a college degree and the writings of Luke are the equivalent of somebody with a master's degree, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, Warren Wiersbe said this, by the way, whoever the writer of Hebrews was had the equivalent of a doctoral or Ph.D. degree said Warren Wiersbe. And, and I've wondered, and there have been a few commentators that wondered if um, maybe Apollos and Luke and Paul worked on Hebrews together. <laughs> hey, I mean, man, that's good. I have, I'd, I'd always attribute it. I said I'd put first Apollos, but mm -hmm. uh, that's a great combination. Hey, Jake, yeah. thank you for that, and keep reading. By the way, uh, when you read Luke, you do see the physical description that you don't see in the other Gospels. When you read the book, the Gospel of Matthew, you see the numbers more specific. He was a tax collector. Numbers was his game, as they say. When you read Mark, who most folks think was a scribe for Peter, you see him get into the point. It's the shortest Gospel, 16 chapters. He starts and ends, and just and, and the, the most repeated word in the book of Mark is immediately. And then in the book of yeah. John, you have this guy who loved the Lord and seemed to be at his right hand. We have 11 different conversations that he has recorded that Jesus had with individuals. So each one of the four Gospels has a uniqueness about them. But again, the Holy Spirit guiding and leading. And I agree with you, Alex. Uh, 
Luke does do a great job of describing some of the issues, physical, and gives descriptions that I that I you'd say a physician would would kind of uh, show attention to. Yeah, I think right. you're exactly right. Hey, let's go to Mississippi and talk to Charlie. Charlie, welcome. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing well today. Mm-hmm. How about you? I'm doing well, not too good. I got a bad neck, and I'm going to get an MRI this week sometime. I hope you I get better, I'm brother. Yeah. What's your question yeah, for us, too. man? Well, my question is, <clears throat> in the Bible it states that before the end will come, that everyone will know my name. And God's name, everybody always says God. Very rarely do they use the name, which is the uh, English version, I guess, is Jehovah, or the, I don't know if it's Greek or Latin, uh, Yahweh. But uh, if the end's going to come, I think we ought to be using his name a whole lot more than just God as a, as a generic name for him, you know? Okay. Hey, God Almighty, uh, you know, and then Jesus, Jesus, uh, Alex, uh, Yeshua, uh, it's God has used several names, has he not? I mean, when you go through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, in Isaiah 22 and Isaiah 45, I've loved these verses even in the Old Testament. Uh, he says, you know, uh, I'm the Lord, that is my name. And, and in all caps, if you're reading the Bible and you see L-O-R-D, Lord, in all caps, that really means Almighty God, uh, Yahweh. Uh, and in Hebrew, there weren't vowels, so they inserted vowels, and the, the more uh, Greek way of, and really uh, Hellenistic way to say it is Jehovah. But, you know, it's whether you say uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, Yeshua, Mashiach, that's Je- Jehovah saves, Jesus the Savior, Jesus. It, we're all talking about God who sent his Son to be our Savior, and by faith in Jesus, we are forgiven. Now, the caller reference Matthew 24, 14, and this is so exciting, folks. It says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, Bert, there's a place called Wycliffe Bible Translators, and uh, JARS, which was an acronym, Jungle Aviation and Radio Service. But if you go out there, it's at a place called Waxhaw. That's an Indian name. And we used to take tour groups out there and probably still should. But they've got anywhere from 100 to three or 400 translators working all the time to get at least a portion of Scripture in all the language groups. And very often they start with the Gospel of John. And they work to try to get it translated in all languages. But let me say this, with computer software and translation tools, this gospel of the kingdom is being translated for the whole wide world at, at just a frantic pace. And that's one of the reasons that, Bert, we may very likely be near the end of time, the return of Christ, because uh, I think the gospel of the kingdom has just about been preached to the whole world for a witness to all the nations. Would you agree? It is getting there. There's still small pockets of unreached people groups. We talk about this on the other program I do, Exploring Missions, and they're there. They're pockets, and, and they're mostly there in Asia, uh, part of Africa, and in a little bit of part of Europe, unreached people groups. But what's happening here in America because of all the things that's coming in and the gospel not really get into urban areas, Alex, you know, 
some mm-hmm. of those unreached people group by you know they they're growing. I hate to say that it, it's it's not the backwoods and the bush. No, it's the inner cities exactly. Isn't it? And we need to be busy. Hey, we're going to try to take one more call today. And it is Paul. Let me get it over here. Paul in Texas. Paul, we don't have a lot of time, but go ahead, man. Yeah, I was, I was listening to you guys talking about Luke and Acts a minute ago uh, and about college degrees. And uh, just, it just hit me, the, the people that I interact with mostly, I mean, we come like a little child, but there are a lot of people that won't do that, okay? Uh, and I read a book a while back by the founder of the Harvard Law School uh, that dis- uses the rules of court testimony against the evangelists. That'd be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and this guy, I mean, we're talking about 200 years ago, okay? Uh, and his name is Simon Greenleaf, and mm-hmm. he became a believer after being challenged to put the rules of court testimony up against the gospel writers. Amen. Paul, thank you for that reminder. Alex, that's awesome, and it is true. Amen. Well, you know, Simon Greenleaf, in fact, this is a very old apologetics book. Uh, Simon Greenleaf, he wrote a very famous work called Testimony of the Evangelists, and this is, you know, 200 years ago. And one of uh, the Western world's greatest legal minds, he became a believer. Another that I would mention, Erwin Linton, who was a skeptic. He had argued cases in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. He wrote a book called The Sanhedrin Verdict, and it was basically his story of how he, as an attorney, became convinced that Jesus was real, Jesus is the Savior, and Jesus is resurrected. Hey, friend, this gospel, it's true. Believe it. It is. If you need help, our friends at Need Him, and you can call them, Triple Eight Need Him, and they'll help you, they'll guide you, and you can become a follower of Jesus Christ today. We pray that you would. Alex, we'll, finish, we'll continue in Second Thessalonians tomorrow. Looking forward to it. God is good. Thanks for listening to the show, folks. Stay tuned for more of American Family Radio. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.